Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our studies in the book of Acts, and today we will look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. The church was growing day by day, and with church growth also arose problems that needed to be straightened out. I, I think we understand that this is what is common in any growing organization today, whether it be a, a business, a family, or the body of Christ. The difficulties that arose provide a wonderful opportunity to learn from their example on how best to work through these types of common problems. Let's turn to the scripture now and read what was taking place. Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we, we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set over the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. At this point in church history, at its very beginning, the church was primarily composed of the Jews who had put their faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 1 tells us that there were two main groups among the Jews, the Hebrews and the Hellenists. To more fully appreciate why there was a problem, we need, first need to understand who these two groups were. Now the Hebrews were the Jews who had grown up in the land of Israel. They spoke Aramaic and were deeply immersed in the Hebrew culture. Being very proud of their heritage, they looked with suspicion and sometimes with contempt upon those who they might consider to be mm, outsiders. This group tended to be very conservative in their faith and in their lives. The Hellenists were Jews who had been born outside of Israel and had grown up in Jewish communities in Gentile lands. They, they spoke the Greek language and they had great many Gentile ways about them because, well, they had been brought up among the Greeks. In, in other words, they acted like the Gentiles. The Hellenists were more liberal in how they lived out their faith and in their daily lives. But when they had come to Jerusalem for Passover, they'd put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, and their Messiah. 
and they became members of the church body. So let's take a look at what was happening. The issue had to do with the distribution of food to the widows in their midst. We need to understand that throughout Scripture we read that God is very concerned about the widows and the orphans, those in their society who were not able to help themselves. For example, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 10 verses 1 through 3, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who, who write misfortune which they have prescribed to rob the needy of justice and to take what is right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. What will you do in the day of punishment and in the desolation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? You can hear the strong language coming from the Lord speaking to those who were not treating the those who were distressed in their society properly. God takes up as their as their advocate, as their avenger, even. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 5, God says, And I will come near you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And we can hear in this passage how strongly feels God feels about this because their actions reveal almost a, a contempt of God because they are willing to abuse God's people, exploit God's people. In Psalm 68.5, God declares that he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. And in James 1.27, we read this, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. For a woman to be entered onto the widow's role in the church, uh, she had to have had no one who can help her, no son or family members who could help her. She was completely alone, with no way to support herself for, for even her simplest needs, like where she would get the money for her meal that day. Remember, this was a time in history when a woman did not work outside of the home. It wasn't possible. The men were the wage earners. Therefore, the death of a husband would be devastating on more than one level for a woman living in first century Israel. But our God is a God of compassion and tender mercies, and he saw the needs of the widows and the orphans. He cared that they were hungry and in deep distress. He even built into the law of Moses a system whereby a widow, an orphan, or even the stranger could glean from the edges of the fields for a little bit of food without worry of prosecution. We see this system at work in the book of Ruth. We can read there of two widows living alone in Israel. They, they were Naomi and Ruth. And Ruth was able to glean from the fields of Boaz for enough grain for their daily bread. But hmm, 
that's a story for another time. We also know of the tender compassion of Jesus, who often saw the needs of the widow. We remember the story in Luke 7, where Jesus was moved with compassion over the deep distress of a widow in the city of Nain in Israel. This is what the Bible says happened on that day. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came, touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and Jesus presented him to his mother. This young man was the only son of his mother. With him dead, where was she going to live? How was she going to live? And so Jesus went to the city of Nain for a reason and a purpose, to restore that young man back to life and to the care of his mother. Jesus cared that she was in deep distress with a great need. The compassion that Jesus showed on that day is the same compassion that God has for all those who are suffering or struggling, both in that day and in our day today. So part of the ministry of the church was and is to care for the widows who had absolutely no one to help them. We read of the more developed procedures for the care of widows in the book of 1 Timothy, where Paul later instructed the church, honor widows who are really widows, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show to learn to show piety at home and, and to repay their parents, for this is good and, and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone, trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. So in our passage today, in Acts chapter 6, we find that the widows of the Hellenists and the widows of the Hebrews were receiving different sized portions in their daily distribution of food. Basically, what arose was a situation of what we might call today class distinction. And this was creating dissension and division in the church. This is contrary to the command that Jesus has given to us to love one another, even as Christ loves the church. I appreciate the observation that Dr. Ironside makes. He writes this, 
Oh, how many a church, how many a testimony for God has been destroyed in that way. God may be graciously working, precious souls are being saved, and then some member gets an idea that he is not being appreciated. A spirit of murmuring begins, and such a one goes about in the church complaining against his brethren. Little unkind things are said, reflecting on others, and so a spirit of opposition develops, and the people wonder why the work of God does not make more progress, and why there does not seem to be more power in the ministry, and why more souls are not being saved. It is all because there is a root of bitterness inside which is not judged. How many warnings we have in God's word against such things. He has told us to avoid murmuring and evil speaking. It is not love that leads people to do this. It is Satan acting through God's people and leading them to take an unkind or discourteous attitude toward their brethren. Yes, the potential of the power of Satan to divide the church at its beginnings was great. Therefore, this problem needed to be addressed and resolved quickly. They recognized that the work of the apostles had to focus in on two vital ministries, prayer and the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And you will notice the order of these two things, prayer first and then the Word. Because without a foundation laid in prayer, the preaching of the Word will go forth without power. As someone once said, a man of God must be a man of prayer. He must know what it is to wait on God in private if he is to have the power of God in public. Therefore, the apostles knew that if they were to be faithful witnesses fulfilling the Great Commission to make disciples, they had to spend time in prayer and focus their time on sharing the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ with all who would listen, day and night, wherever they went. So the apostles gathered together in order to, do, to discuss how best to proceed. Their solution gives the church today much good counsel and instruction. They gathered the church together and instructed them to set apart seven men who were, quote, men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, end quote. Therefore, they were already men who had been doing this work all along, who had distinguished themselves among the people as leaders who could be trusted. What is interesting is that all seven of the men chosen were from the Hellenists, the group where the widows had been neglected. I don't think that's how we would do things today. Our tendency might be to mm, appoint three from one side, three from the other, and maybe let the six choose the seventh one so that everything could be equal. However, on that day, the entire bodies all stood in agreement with the men appointed to this new ministry responsibility. 
They're appointed not on the basis of their cultural background, but rather on their life in Christ. The evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit, the faithfulness of a Christ-like life and men of wisdom. That wisdom comes from God, and it is gained through the study, knowledge of, and application of the Word of God in their daily lives. These new men knew the scriptures, and they put it into action. Or as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the seven men, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, were brought to the twelve apostles, who laid their hands on them and commissioned them, consecrated them into this new ministry in the church. Now I want you to notice something further. This new ministry position is what we call today deacons. This is a service ministry to help with the more practical needs of the church. For the seven, their responsibility was to distribute food to the widows. Maybe today we might want to say that their new responsibility was to wait on tables. And we might be tempted to think that this was a very humble, basic responsibility, kind of a, a low-level work. But to the apostles, this work of service, this vital ministry, required just as much spiritual maturity as that of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. This should be instructive to us today. Dr. John Stott makes the following observation. A vital principle is illustrated in this incident, which is of urgent importance to the church today. It is that God calls all his people to ministry, that he calls different people to different ministries, and that those called to prayer and the ministry of the word must on no account allow themselves to be distracted from their priorities. It is surely deliberate that the work of the Twelve and the work of the Seven are alike called diaconia, which means ministry or service. The former is the ministry of the Word or pastoral work. The latter, the ministry of the tables or social work. Neither ministry is superior to the other. On the contrary, both are Christian ministries, that is, ways of serving God and his people. Both require spiritual people, full of the Spirit, to exercise them. And both can be full-time Christian ministries. 
The only difference between them lies in the form the ministry takes, requiring different gifts and different callings. Scripture has much to say about this, but I really like the way 1 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks about the different gifts and ministries that are found in the church. And so I'd like to read that passage to you. It's a little bit long, but it's it's so, so worth reading. It's, it's, it's so good. Paul writes, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink in, into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffers with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So these seven were prayed for. 
and they continued their ministry in the church. Being relieved of, of that particular concern, the apostles continued in their own ministries of prayer and preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And verse 7 of our passage today tells us that the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Yes, it is true that when the apostles were able to focus on their specific calling, the power of God was evident and many, many people were saved. What is noteworthy is the fact that many priests also put their faith in Jesus as the Christ. This is significant. Because most probably they had had a part in all of the opposition and condemnation which led up to Jesus' crucifixion. But the love of God is powerful. And the word of God is powerful. As it says in chapter 55 of the book of Isaiah, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The church in that day was in danger of being divided. But instead of giving in to that, they chose to seek the Lord and to pray. They chose to recognize that every ministry that is done in the name of the Lord is of value and of a great purpose. The passage in 1 Corinthians talks about various giftings that the Holy Spirit gives to his people for service. And some of those gifts are service gifts, some of the gifts are miracle gifts, and some of the gifts are speaking gifts. They are all needed, they are all valuable, and they all work together for the common good of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the making of disciples and equipping them so that they in turn might go out and share Jesus with the next generation. Have you ever felt that your service to the Lord is just too small to be noticed? Let me assure you that God is not looking for great acts of ministry. 
but rather for a faithful servant who is willing to do the humblest task for his glory. If the Lord called you to serve in small ways, do it with all of your heart. If the Lord has called you to serve in great ways, do it with all of your heart and with a humble spirit, knowing that it is only the power of God within you that enables you to serve. And to all I say, be faithful day by day, trusting in him who has redeemed you and called you to be his child, his servant, and his witness to all those who are around you, a witness in both word and deed. Heavenly Father, we come before you and recognize, O oh God, that it is Jesus who is the, the primary focus of all these things that the ministry of the church, the teaching of the word, it's all about Jesus. And Jesus instructed us to love one another, but Satan would seek to divide. Lord, I pray for unity within the body. I pray that once again, you will remind us to love one another, that this is your command to your people. Love one another. Love is such a good thing. James tells us that love is the royal law in the kingdom of God. Loving God, loving each other. This is what we are called to. And part of that love is expressed in sharing Jesus with the people around us, people who, who know you, people who perhaps have strayed away or have gotten kind of distracted in their faith and loving those who've never known you. Lord, it is your love that has drawn us to you. Increase our love for one another. Pour out your love into our hearts that we might be faithful and that we might be unity, unified, O oh God, unified at the cross where we all stand on level ground, unified for the purpose of Christ, unified for the glory of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, until next time, my friend, may you know the joy of serving our great God and Savior. And may God bless your service for the blessing of others and for his glory. God bless you, my friend. <music>